0: Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I'm Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast you'll hear our passion for the gospel and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus can bring. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and that it will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more thing before we begin. If any of the sermons on our podcast have been helpful to you, would you please let us know? It would be a great help and blessing to us to know that this ministry is being used by God in your life and ministry. Would you tell us where you're located and specifically how this ministry has helped you? We greatly anticipate hearing from you. You can simply email your response to pastor at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, let's begin our time today. Let's uh, look at the first part of Galatians 3. We'll look at verses 1 through 5, and let's read those uh, this morning. Galatians 3, 1 through 5, it says this. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was vain? So then then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let's pray this morning. God, as we come to your word and think about our lives, I pray that we would rest in the truth that you sent your son to die for us. And when we hear that message and respond in faith, You accept us. Not on the basis of what we've done, not on who we are or where we were born, but on the basis of Jesus. Thank you for your unconditional love, for your acceptance of us, showing us your love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, And I pray that we would examine our life today and see if we are finding value in ourselves or attempting to show you how valuable we are through our works, and that we would let that go today and rest in the work of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So on. April 27th, 1940, SS leader Heinrich Himmler ordered a new concentration camp to be built. It was near the Polish town of Oswiecim. Oswiecim. And so to build the camp, the Nazis forced 300 Jews from the town of Auschwitz to to build this work. And it was the next month, May 1940, that Rudolf Hirsch arrived and became the first commandant of Auschwitz. And while the camp was still being constructed... Hearst ordered the creation of a large sign to be displayed over the entry of the camp. And that sign said, Arbeit macht frei. It's a phrase that means work makes free. It was the lie the the Nazis told the workers. That if they worked hard and did what they were asked to do, they could work their way to freedom. The phrase was posted over at least six other concentration camps throughout the Reich. The lie was that work would make you free, but the horrifying truth was that it only led to death. Our community is filled with people today who believe the same lie. They believe that if we just work hard enough, if we do the right good works, if we say the right thing at the right time or give the right amount of money or say the right prayers, that if they do their best work, they can be free from their guilt of sin. They can be free from the shame of their rebellion against God. They could be free from the grip of death. And if they die in that state, they will learn too late that good works Do not lead to freedom. It is Jesus' blood and Jesus' blood alone that brings freedom. He died to give us freedom from sin, to give us freedom from death, to give us freedom from the slavery of works. And the scripture says, if the Son has set you free, right, you'll be free indeed. This is the truth Paul has been teaching us. This is what he has been telling us over the last couple chapters of Galatians. It's what I've been preaching on the last couple weeks it's what we celebrate every time we gather together that Jesus' blood has set us free. That is what we celebrate. We might sing, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We get to the third verse, and it says, what, uh, Nothing for sin Sorry, nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus and it says not of the good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Your salvation is not dependent upon you. That that's good news. That's the truth of Scripture. It's what the Old Testament points to. From the Garden of Eden, when God promised someone would come and crush the head of the serpent, to the Passover where the blood of the Lamb was painted over the doorposts of the, of the Jewish people's houses and death would pass over them. To the day of atonement where the blood of the Lamb was shed so that the sins of the people would be satisfied, the wrath of God would be satisfied by that. To, to the to the, un, you know, the suffering servant that Isaiah had prophesied that would come and sacrifice himself for the people. That is the gospel. It's what the Old Testament points to. It's what the New Testament talks about. It's the truth of how this world really works. If someone wants a relationship with the Father, if someone wants forgiveness of sins, if one wants to gain eternal life, if there's anyone who wants to be free from the burden of their sin, the only way is through Jesus and his blood. That is how this world works. But our enemy doesn't want that message out. Satan promises the world freedom if you work. And it simply ends in death. And you know what? That message can be tempting. That message can be very deceitful. And it's so, so deceitful and so insidious that even someone who has trusted in Christ for salvation might begin to think that I have to work to keep my salvation. That if I don't cancel out the sin that I have done after I've come to know Christ through my good works that I will lose that salvation and Christ will leave me. And that's what's happening in the Galatian church. Paul, Paul is angry. Don't know if you can tell that, but in chapter 3, verse 1, you begin to hear his anger. He is, he is angry. He's had enough of it. And, and today's passage, through a series of rhetorical questions, Paul wants the believers of the church to understand what will happen if they begin to embrace this idea of working to gain and to keep salvation. And, and he is frustrated with what's going on in the church. What will happen if these people are led astray by this false doctrine and then by by association? What would happen if we would buy into this idea that we must gain salvation by our works or we must keep our salvation by our works? Well, let's look at the passage, see what happens. And we see first, it says that we can be led astray if we're not alert. That's what I want you to pull out of this passage. Look in verse 1. We can be led astray if we are not alert. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? So, you know, in order to win friends and influence people, Paul brings out his most congenial words and says, Hey, stupid, right? (laughs) You foolish Galatians. What is wrong with you? That's the idea here. It's all, you know, it, it sounds real nice. The idea of foolish, it's the idea that someone has the mental capacity to think but they don't use that mental capacity. I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but anyone know anybody like that? They're like, they got a brain, they're just not using that brain? That's what Paul's saying about the Galatians. He's, He's saying they are failing to think about what they are doing. These Galatians are allowing the Judaizers to infiltrate the church to say that you can work your way into salvation or you can work your way to keep your salvation. And Paul says, anyone with a brain could tell you that's impossible. They should know better. And so he says, and, in fact, he's so, he's so angry and he is, it's so impossible that they are thinking that. Paul thinks they might be under a spell. He says, who has bewitched you? Some, I think some versions might say, who has hypnotized you? It's a word that means given someone the evil eye, right? Somebody has come to them and has cast a spell over them. Or they have used some sort of evil power to, to change their thinking and they are, they are under the spell of someone else. It's, it would be the same if someone came to us and they were acting so different and so strange. You might think, are they drunk? Are, are they high? What is, what is wrong with these people? They're, they're acting so different and so strange, they must be on something. That is what Paul is saying. That's what Paul thought. What are you on Who's cast a spell over you that's making you behave in such a matter? Because the people of Galatia, the church, was being led astray. And you can only be led astray if you're on the right path. Right? If you're lost and wandering around and you don't know what path you're on, you're not being led astray because you're already astray. He's saying you knew what the truth was. Jesus Christ was publicly displayed before you as crucified. It's, it's a word that, that would mean, if it was used today, advertising up on a billboard. You drive by a big billboard, and you see what it has to say, and they use those, bill, those big billboards because they're effective. People can see it, and they know what it has to say. And it's, he's saying, my message was so clear to you that it was like The message of the gospel was painted up on this billboard, and no one could have missed it, and everyone understood what it was about. My preaching was as clear as an advertising on a billboard, and I preached that Jesus Christ was crucified for your sins, and it's only through his death and resurrection you can have a relationship with God. And he says, you know the truth, but you're acting like someone has hypnotized you and you're moving off into falsehood. They were being led astray, and they were being led astray because they were not alert to the danger of the false teaching. According to the magazine that's it's called Professional Mariner, on February 27 or 28th, 2007, there was a cargo ship by the name of Montrose that ran aground. The bow of the ship ran into the mud near the mouth of the Choptank River, which is a major tributary to the Chesapeake Bay. It was loaded with 74,000 metric tons of coal. And it failed to turn to the starboard starboard, which is right, I guess, I don't know, but uh, it was a right at a particular Bowie when it was supposed to, to turn the other way. And the evidence the Coast Guard said was that the pilot and the mate were not paying attention. They said the pilot was either asleep or had, as written in his statements to investigators, lost attention. <laughs> the, the witnesses said they were watching the ship, and the captain was sitting very still in his chair until it hit the ground, and then he stirred as if he was sleeping in his chair, and the running aground woke him up. The captain said he had stayed up the night before to watch um, his girlfriend's children. And they said the inadequate amount of rest, that contributed to the attention failures. And they said, we conclude that this lack of attentiveness caused him to to miss the prescribed turn. And the mate who was on watch was... He had doubts about the course, and so he was off trying to figure it out and wasn't paying attention, and they ran aground. This giant cargo ship. The reason it ran aground, because the captain, the mate, they were not paying attention. And so instead of taking proactive action and saying, we're going to know this course and we're going to run this course right, they, they waited, they missed course, and they, they ran aground. And my point is that if we are not watchful, if we are not alert, the same thing can occur in our life. We cannot lose our salvation. If we have truly trusted in Christ, we will be saved in the end. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about an effectiveness. If, if you are here today and you are, you're kind of honestly evaluating your life and you, are, you say, I am attempting to prove my value to Christ through the things that I do, through my work for the Lord, that I do stuff for God just so I can make sure I don't go to hell. Right? I know Jesus is going to save me, but just in case, I need to do a little bit more. Right? If that's where you are thinking, if that's where you're at, we are just drifting off course on our way to be running aground. Are you trusting in your work, or do you rest in the fact that your Heavenly Father loves you he just loves you period are you seeking to cancel out your last sin by your works maybe you slipped up morally or, or mentally and, and you, you have sinned against God and so you say I, I'm, a, I'm a believer but I've, I've I've done wrong, and so I need to do some stuff so those cancel each other out. As if our work can cancel out our sin. If that's where you're thinking, that's evidence that you are being led astray. Like the Galatians, we can know the truth of Scripture And if we don't stay alert, we can be led astray. We are to love the Lord our God with all our mind and heart and soul and strength. We are to think through things. Here was a group of believers that were preached to and discipled by Paul. They knew the truth. But because of some false teaching that had creeped in, they were being led astray. And if we allow a works-based salvation to infiltrate our lives, then our, our lives and ministries can be led astray as well. The second thing I want us to know is: first is that if we're not alert, we can be led astray. The second is if we're led astray, we will not mature. Look in verses 2 and 3. This whole section, he begins these these lists of rhetorical questions. He begins to ask them questions that the answers are obvious to, but he's asking them for effect. And so he first wants them to understand how our salvation started. And that's true for us too. We must understand how our salvation started. Look in verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you, Paul says. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? or hearing with faith. He says, I, only, I have one question. There's only one thing I need to know. This is going to be the foundation for all that he has to say from here on out. How did you begin the Christian life? That's the question. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did they receive the Holy Spirit by doing what the law demanded Were they able to do the right things and live such good lives that eventually God looked down upon them and said, Man, those people are so good, I will just give them the Holy Spirit. Is that how they started? Or did they hear a message that Paul preached? The message we just heard was so plain, it was like on a billboard. It wasn't complicated. You can't work your way to heaven you trust in Jesus' blood. It was what He did on the cross, that He took our sin, and it was laid upon Him, and then it was sacrificed on the cross, and God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus in our place, so that we could have the righteousness of God in Him. And they heard that, and once they heard that, they believed that. Is that how they got the Holy Spirit? And the, the rhetorical question is, of course, it is by hearing the message and believing. How does one receive the Holy Spirit? Through works or faith. We read several times over the last couple of weeks, Galatians 2.16. It says this, Nevertheless knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. He says, Even we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Paul makes it clear that we are justified. Remember, that means declared innocent. It's like God looks at us and says, It's just as if they hadn't sinned, justified, just if I'd never sinned. That's how God sees us when we have trusted in Christ. And it says here we are declared innocent through faith in Christ, and no one, no one will be justified by the works of the law. Paul did not come to Galatia and begin to preach they needed to obey the Ten Commandments and to be circumcised or follow any aspect of the law to be right standing with God. He preached Christ was crucified and he shed his blood to pay the penalty for their sins. And so like the Galatians, if we want to mature we must first understand how salvation begins. We cannot mature in Christ if we are never in Christ. If we have never come to Christ, if we have never surrendered our life to Christ, trusting in what he did on the cross instead of our works, we can never mature in Christ. You have to be born to mature, right? And that's what Paul says is saying here. I want to know one thing. How did you start the Christian life? How did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, we did it by hearing with faith. We heard the message and responded. And the second aspect then we need to grasp is what he says in verse 3. We must understand how our salvation will be completed. Salvation has several aspects to it. There's the the beginning of salvation where we have been saved, where Jesus Christ has saved us from sin and death. It is completed. It is past tense. There is a sense in which we are being saved in in the idea that we are becoming more and more like Christ. And there is a sense that we will be saved when we enter into eternity. We will be saved. That's how the scripture uses salvation in those three different tenses. And so he, we're talking about then how will our salvation be completed. And he says in verse 3, are you so foolish? He says, I want to ask you, how did you begin the Christian life? How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Then he says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What's the maturing process look like? He asks them again if they are foolish. It's the same word he used in verse one: a person who can think but doesn't use their powers of perception. They have a brain, but they don't use it. You know, the wheel's turning, but the hamster's dead. Whatever, whatever the thing is, they are just not using their mind. It doesn't make any sense to say, Holy Spirit came into my life because I trusted in Jesus Christ because I could not earn my salvation but if I want to keep it I better start working it makes no sense it's ridiculous Paul says are you so foolish to think that you can keep your salvation by what you do and I wonder how many of us think this way or maybe live this way we might not know we think this way But we live this way. Paul wonders out loud here, what will you do to keep your salvation? What what can you do? If you begun by faith, what amount of work is required to keep it? It's a powerful rhetorical question, and we should all examine. If you began your relationship with Christ, through no power of your own then why would you think you must engage in your works and your power to keep that relationship in verses 2 and 3 he's comparing these two things works and hearing law and faith flesh and the spirit and he says these two things don't work together. I said last week it's like oil and water. It's not that they're two sides of one coin. They're oil and water. They do not mix. Faith and works don't mix. The law and faith don't work don't don't mix flesh and the spirit. They don't work together. And that's what Paul is affirming here as well. You cannot start salvation with the spirit of God and but then through your works make God love you more and keep that salvation. Imagine we were on vacation We're like one family and we're on vacation. And we're driving across the country because we've had this crazy idea that that would be a fun thing to do. So we got screaming kids in the back and we're driving across the country It's hot, and, and, you know, everyone's got to go to the bathroom at different times. But we are making our way across the country, but we're enjoying it, right? We are driving, and we've filled up our car before we begin, and we start driving down the road. And before too long, before we get to the next gas station, we see someone pushing their car down the road. And we say, do you need any help? And they're like, nope, we're good, thanks. And so we keep driving, and a little bit further down the road, there's another family pushing their car down the road. And we're like, what's, what's going on? And, and more and more, we're driving down the road, and all these families are pushing their car, and when we stop and ask, they're like, nope, we're just on vacation. And we're like, that's just strange. And so finally we stop, and we say, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? Where are you going? And they say, well, we're just, we're just on our vacation. Where are you going? Said, we're on our vacation too. We're going to Florida or wherever. And they said, well, you're, you're driving? Why aren't you pushing? <laughs> and it's like, because cars are meant to drive and cars are not meant to push. And they said, if you push your car, the air stays clean. It makes a lot of sense to push your car. We used to rely on gasoline a lot. But now... We don't do that anymore. We really understand what it's all about. We are pushers. We are not drivers. And so we start thinking about that and it's like, well, everybody else is pushing. Maybe that's what it's about. And so we all get out of the car and we start pushing our way to Florida. Doesn't that make a lot of sense? That's what Paul is saying in these verses. Paul's saying, are you telling me that you started out with a full tank of the Spirit of God and now you're trying to push your way through life? You're trying to, to do more so that you can show how how much you understand about cars? And then he says, are you really so foolish? (laughs) It makes no sense. Are you telling me that's the message of freedom that we heard about through Scripture today and we sang this morning that the freedom of Christ is that you come to know through the Spirit, but you have to push your way all the way through life. And I hope you do enough. Is that freedom? It isn't. It isn't. We, we cannot pull off our Christian life. The grace of Jesus Christ is incredibly freeing when we grab hold of it. When we truly understand what it means to trust and rest in the work of Jesus Christ. We do not need to push our way through life, but rely on the power of the Spirit. One commentator I came across, he said this, the law says do, grace says done. The law says try, grace says trust. The law says behave, grace says believe. The law says, the, the law points to the commandments Grace points to the Christ. If we allow this doctrine of works to say this is how I'm going to come to faith or this is how I'm going to keep my, my relationship with God, we will be led astray and we will not mature. And we will spend our lives just pushing the car down life, down through the, the highways of life. And last, we see that if we do not mature, we're not going to show any fruit. We will not show fruit. Throughout Scripture, over and over again, the Scripture says the believer is to produce fruit. And the fruit, I mean, the, you know, a tree... Jesus says, you are the, I am the vine, you are the branches. The branches just hold out fruit. The branch doesn't say, mm, and then there comes a fruit, right? It doesn't work and work to produce fruit. It's, it's what's inside that, that vine. It is the, the power and the nutrients flowing through and the branches are just holders out of the fruit. And if you've trusted in Christ... If you're a believer today, you've trusted in Christ. There is fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. If we are surrendered to him and we are are allowing him to work in our lives, there is fruit that is produced to show we are maturing. And the first one I think we can see in this passage is we will have the fruit of suffering. Look what it says in verse 4. Verse 4 says, Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was vain? Paul knows what the Galatians endured. These were people who lived in, in you know outside of Jerusalem. They were Gentiles. It's modern day Turkey. So you can picture in your mind what people from Turkey look like and, and how they live. These were people who did not know Yahweh, the God of Israel, the redeeming God, the creator God. They didn't know them. They worshiped false gods. They probably had a lot of of sex wrapped up in their worship like most of the religions of the time did other than Israel. They had immoral practices. They followed false gods. They did not live life the way that God wanted them to. And when they came to Christ, they rejected all of that. They were raised to believe these things. Their whole life they believed in their false gods. And they came to Christ and they threw it all away. Do you think they were persecuted for that? Yeah, they were. They were called probably traitors. And how can you? I would guess family members would have rejected them and said, you don't don't believe what what I taught you as a kid. How dare you disrespect me that way? And, And brothers and sisters say, how can you be so stupid as to believe something like this? And they were persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And Paul says... Are you going to throw that all away by believing just like everyone else that you've got to appease the gods through your work? Because you've already suffered for believing in the grace of Jesus. And if you go back and trust on works, all that suffering was for no reason at all because you're just living just like everybody else. Paul says, in essence, what he is pointing to here and that we can dig out of the text is that when we follow Christ, there'll be suffering. You know, no one wants suffering in our life. We, we just don't want it. We don't want trials. We don't want hard times. But the truth of the matter is trials and sufferings are one of the main ways God matures us. And that's easier to preach than live, okay? Rhonda and I can do a to that, and, and you all can attest to that. James tells us in James 1, verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And we want to say, shut up, James. You know, <laughs> you're like, what are you talking about? What do you mean consider it all joy when trials come? Because I want to gripe about it. I want to call it to God and say, why are you, you know, why are you doing this? This isn't fair. And a lot of times we'll appeal to our works. I've done all this for you, right? All these works. So why do I have to go through this trial? And James says, we consider it joy in verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It's the lifting of the barbell. that hurts, that muscle hurts, but the more I do it, the stronger the muscle gets and the more I can endure. It's the runner who can run just a little bit at the first day that person runs, but if they go out day after day, after the course of a year, they have built up endurance. They built up strength through pain. And he's saying that we know the testing of our faith produces endurance. And in verse 4, it says, Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's talking about maturity there. Suffering matures us. And if we step aside from suffering and try to avoid it, trials will never have the opportunity to mature us. If we do not mature, we will not show fruit, and that fruit is not only the fruit of suffering, but he goes on and talks about the fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Look in verse 5. So then he who does, so then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. I believe these people were true Christians. Paul saying that the Holy Spirit was in them and the Holy Spirit was working through them. He says these people are believers. And, and I also believe, by the way, that when the... When, I believe the scripture says this when the person receives the Holy Spirit, they get all of the Holy Spirit. The minute you come to Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. You don't get a little bit of them. You don't get part of them now, part of them later. You are baptized into the Holy Spirit. The scripture says you are dunked into Him, you are immersed in Him, you are enveloped by Him. And that never changes. It's a matter of how much control he has in our lives. And then once a person receives the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit begins to work in the believer's lives. And he does miracles. And every believer, any person who's truly come to know Christ, can talk about the miracles God has done in their life. At the very least they can talk about the miracle of being raised from dead to life. Because if you're a believer, you were dead and you came to life. You were blind, now you can see. You were lamed, now you can walk. You were deaf, now you can hear. Whatever metaphor you want to use, it's a miracle. Because you could not produce that in and of yourself. But there is more that he does. We're given life. Everyone here today woke up and was given life. And when we think about what is all has to happen for that to occur, it is a miracle. God has worked in us And he's done miracles. And if we have done anything for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God, that is the Holy Spirit working through us. If we've ever shared the gospel with somebody, whether they come to Christ or not, that is the Holy Spirit working through you, and that's a miracle. He has taken a sinner, someone who does not deserve the king of creation to work in, and he has indwelt us and works through us. And through this question, Paul tells them, look, it wasn't by your works, by attempting to fulfill the law. They heard the message of Jesus' blood, paying for the penalty of their sin. They responded in faith. They completely surrendered to Jesus and that's how you were provided the Spirit, and the Spirit works miracles through you. Without suffering, we don't mature. And without the Spirit, <laughs> we don't mature. When the Spirit works in us, we begin to produce fruit. But if we trust in our works, that fruit will not appear. We have this tree in our backyard. I, I don't know what it is. It, it drives me nuts. It's this little bitty scrawny tree that's kind of growing, and every spring it blooms, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be a good fruit tree. This spring, it's going to produce fruit, and then it doesn't. Three springs now. I keep going to it, and I'm like, ooh, I wonder what this is going to be. Is it going to be a plum tree? Because it's just beautiful, you know, Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a pear tree, because, oh, I'd like a pear tree. Maybe it's just another apple tree. I don't know. I can't tell. I know Betty could. I couldn't. She'd probably look at it and say, it's this. But I tell you what, it's kind of disappointing going out there, and you're like, ooh, this is going to produce fruit, and there's no fruit. And this thing's taking up real estate. You know what I'm saying? I'm mowing around it all the time. And then I hear there's this thing called an ornamental plum tree. And I'm like, what are you talking about, ornamental plum tree? It acts like it's going to produce fruit and doesn't? Why? You know, and I'm sure there's reasons why. But I'm like, if I, if I have a tree there, I want, it, I want it to do something. If it's going to be a fruit tree, let's have a fruit tree. And so every time I mow around it, I think, your time's coming. You know, <laughs> you better produce. I'm tired of mowing around this thing we got other trees that are doing well. And this thing is just, I'm like, you're getting close, buddy. Produce something. I might be in the minority, but I think a fruit tree should produce fruit. Jesus said this to his disciples in John 15, 8. Listen, it's not up on the screen. Just listen. My Father is glorified by this. You want to glorify God? How do? I mean, that's what we say we want to do. How do we glorify God? John 15, 8 says this. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. All Christians. All Christians are to produce fruit. Not by your own works. You can't produce fruit. I can't produce fruit but by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and on and on. By Him doing the work in us to do what God has called us to do. Fruitfulness is hindered when spiritual growth is hindered because we're led astray by thinking our works play a part in it. That's what that's what angered Paul so much here. When we believe works can give us a better standing with God. When we believe our value in Christ is based on what we do for him. When we think God might be impressed by what I do, then we are being led astray, our maturity is being hindered, and we will not have spiritual fruit to give to the world. I have you bow your heads and think through this. Who are you trusting in today? Maybe you know God. Maybe you know you are saved by God's grace. Praise God. But maybe you are trapped by this idea that you must continue to perform to stay in God's good graces. And I would echo what Paul says after beginning with the Spirit, are you now going to be made complete? in the flesh? The answer is no. So let go of the burden of legalism and be freed from the false notion and rest in Christ. Maybe you've never really transferred your trust to Christ. You've been raised to think that if you just do good, God will accept you. You know you do bad, and you know you do good, and you're just trying to say, at the end when I die, I hope my good outweighs my bad. And if that describes you, you are being deceived. You are walking into the concentration camp that says work makes free. And the only end is death. Death. You can never do enough. But you can stop trusting in yourself and transfer your trust to Christ and fall upon him and believe what he did on the cross is enough. The place where he took your sin, it was laid upon him and he died in your place and then rose again to give you life. Man, put your faith in him today and be freed from sin and death and works. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your plan of salvation based on Jesus Christ. What, just how amazing it is. What joy we have in knowing and just resting in the work of Jesus Christ. And God, if there's anyone here struggling with works, whether they are a believer or, or not, I pray that you would show them the path to freedom. As we heard earlier today, it was for freedom that Christ set us free, to free us from these works. God, speak to our hearts today, and as we respond in the manner in which you call us, I pray that we would be faithful and courageous to do what you, you work in our hearts right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosmontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in Western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at ten forty five a.m., but if you come a little earlier. We'll always have some coffee and snacks and good fellowship before we begin our worship service. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org.